0: Good morning, everyone, and happy Easter or happy Resurrection Sunday. Traditionally, pastors around the world would greet their congregations and say, He is risen, and they would reply and say, He is risen indeed. Now, we are not going to do that today. That feels really weird and a little bit lame. It's definitely a different dynamic doing this to a camera where you're watching me on the screen. But we do want to celebrate today. This weekend all around the world is a massive moment for the church. And we remember and think of Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. And at the same time, we think back and we celebrate with great hope the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. This is a big day on the church calendar. But crazily today, for the first time in the history of the world, churches all over are closed. Their services are closed. And they're meeting like we are doing with Easter at home to celebrate and remember as more than half of the world's population are under some form of lockdown because of the COVID-19 pandemic that we're facing. We're definitely living in a unique time in the history of the world. And I know many of you are becoming more introspective, uh, asking the deep questions of life, or what is this all about? Looking inside. I also know some of you have been busier than ever before, and you haven't even stopped to think about anything other than work or whatever it is that fills your days or weeks now. And then I know there's some of you that are definitely feeling more stressed out uncertain, fearful, anxious, and have got questions about what's happening now, but also what is to come. This is definitely an Easter where we need some hope and encouragement, which is what I want to speak about today. But before we turn to John chapter 4 in the Bible this morning, I want you to think about a moment in your life when you were most thirsty. You got it? Maybe visualize it. You can close your eyes if you want. But think about where you were. Think about what you felt at that moment and think about why you were so thirsty. Now for me, I was 16 years old. I was walking home from school, it had been a long day and it was a scorcher of a day. So I was sweating up a storm in my blazer and long trousers and tie and all of that. I probably hadn't drunk anything at school during the day, so I was really looking forward to getting home and just opening the fridge and having an ice cold glass of water or coke or whatever the most alluring drink in the fridge was at that time. So I got home with these fantasies of refreshment in my mind only to find that I was locked out. I didn't have keys and no one was home. And this was back in the dark ages before cell phones were around. So I couldn't even phone my family to find out where they were, when they'd be home, if anyone could swing past and let me in. So I just found a shady spot and I stripped down. The blazer came off, the shirt came off. I don't know if I kept the pants on, but it was a really, really hot day. I think after a few minutes of sitting in the shade, I thought, surely there's something to refresh me. Surely I can find something to drink. So firstly, I went to our tap, but that tap sat all day in the sun. don't know if you've ever had a tap like that at home. It's kind of metallic and just gets warmer and warmer as the day sun beats on it throughout the day. So I cranked that open and I had a taste that the water was somewhere between warm and boiling and that wasn't going to do. So I kept kind of foraging like a bit of a jackal or hyena just looking for my prey. And I finally, in our garage, found a couple of castle lagers that were also warm. Now, I know I was 16, uh, I was day drinking on a school day, but I thought my parents wouldn't mind because desperate times call for desperate measures. So I took a castle lager, normally this would have been the dream, and I opened this and I took two sips and I realized this was not going to do it. I don't know about the English and drinking warm beer, but it was revolting. So I knew that that wasn't going to fill the gap. I knew that that wasn't going to satisfy me, that it wasn't enough. I needed something cold and refreshing, not a warm beer or a boiling tap. And in John chapter 4, we meet two characters that are also thirsty. But their conversation quickly changes from just speaking about physical thirst to going a little bit deeper and talking about our more existential or spiritual satisfaction. Let's read together. This is John 4, verse 5 to 9. It says, so Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So in this passage we're introduced to two characters. The first is Jesus He's been busy with ministry. He's been traveling town to town. And he's tired and worn down from walking probably six hours in the boiling heat. And he needs a rest and he needs a drink. The second person is a Samaritan woman. Now, we don't get her name in this passage. And that might be so that we can identify with her and her story for ourselves. But all we do know about her is that she is worn down and tired from life. And that there is a deep inner thirst inside of her that needs quenching. And she comes up to the well with her bucket and her water jar, ready to draw water for herself, only to find Jesus sitting there at the well and saying, hey, can I also get a drink? Now, I know the setup isn't great. I know maybe this isn't catching your attention too much yet. I know some of you have reverted to playing on your phones. I can see you in the back there. Stop. Trust me. This is going to get somewhere. The word that would have stood out to someone in a Middle Eastern context of this passage as provocative and kind of eyebrow-raising it's definitely something that we would glance over because it's the word noon, 12 o'clock, midday. See, no one came out to draw water at noon because it was so hot then. The, the job of collecting or drawing the water was left to the women of the village. And they would come out all together at the same time, either early in the morning or later in the afternoon. So it wasn't too hot when they did this job. And they always came together because there were buckets and water jars involved. And carrying them there and then carrying them back full of water was really heavy and hard work. So this woman being here at noon and on her own would definitely have raised a couple of questions. It seems that the other women in this village don't like her. And even more than that, they've rejected her, that she is a social outcast in this town. And we don't really know the details of her story. All we find out later on is that she's had five husbands and that the person she's living with now is not her husband, which would have been pretty scandalous back in that day, even if it's not today. We don't have the details of what has happened. If all five of these men have left her, how many other partners she's had, if these husbands have died, which would definitely be a little bit more mysterious. But it definitely seems that this woman is whispered about, gossiped about in her town. They're discussing her sexual history. They're talking about her failed marriages, the kind of woman that she is, They've written her off and excluded her, and maybe they're even a bit fearful of her. Maybe these women are worried that their husband could be next for this man-eater of a woman. She's been defined by her past in this community, and she's been given a certain identity and a bad name based on what she's done. There's an unpleasant banner over her life that everyone sees, and that she even feels and sees as she walks through this town. And because of that, she's chosen to self-isolate. She's chosen to withdraw from the community rather than dealing with their stares and comments and their whispers. Now, for her, this isn't just a five-week-long lockdown separated from the people around her. This is lifelong self-isolation. The stigma of her choices, her mistakes, her past, her shame, her sin is going to hang around her for the rest of her life. And this banner that she's got over her life will be with her always. And some of us live with those banners over our lives too. Maybe it's something that you've done that you're ashamed of. Maybe it's failure. Maybe you feel unwanted or rejected. Maybe you're ashamed of something that you've done. Maybe this is a banner that others have put over your life. Maybe it's something that you grew up being called at home or friends or neighbors or co-workers call you now. Or maybe it's something that you are defining yourself by. Something that you've done or something that's been done to you that maybe no one else even knows about. But it is shaping how you see yourself and how you interact with others. This could be something that is actually stopping you from engaging with others around you, and is even closing off parts of your own life to yourself and to God. For this woman, her self-isolation points to an even greater spiritual isolation. You see, her sin has made her an outcast in her community, separated from those around her. But even worse is the fact that our sin separates us from our God. What I love about this story is how we see that God loves us so much that even when our sin separates us from him, he still pursues us. And in John 4, Jesus comes to this town and sits down at the well at the exact moment that this woman is coming out to draw water for herself. Now think about this for a moment. Think about this coincidence. She's come out in the middle of the day, the hot town where no one else is around to draw water for herself. And Jesus has stopped what he is doing. He's made sure he's right there at the right time, waiting for a drink because he's thirsty. And obviously no one else is going to be around to offer him a drink of water except for her. Jesus is there for her so that he can speak to her specifically. Unlike the rest of the town that had rejected her, God wanted a relationship with this Samaritan woman and he pursued her. Jesus, on this important journey, ministering all around the Roman Empire, stops what he is doing to come and find this specific Samaritan woman, probably an uninfluential person in that town, a social outcast, and he comes to break through the isolation that she's living in and to set her free. Now this well side conversation that they've had might not seem that interesting in some ways, but there is a lot of invisible context surrounding it. But I want to help you to see how great God's love is towards her and towards us. Firstly, it was a taboo, not a sin, but definitely a cultural no-no for a man and a woman to be alone and for that man to even look at her. Now Jesus is having a one-on-one conversation with the woman at this time. And we see later in verse 27 when Jesus' disciples come back, they've gotten lunch, they're ready to eat together with him, that they're pretty surprised that Jesus is talking to this woman alone. And they probably also realize that the only reason this woman is out at this time of day is because she's a social outcast. On top of this, The Jewish and Samaritan people had been hostile to one another for 500 years now. That's why in verse 9, the woman says to Jesus, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, Samaritan woman? Now, there are a lot of reasons why this conversation should not be happening and why this woman should remain in her sin and her isolation from God and from those around her. But Jesus stops what he is doing. He comes out to meet this woman at the well at noon. And he comes to break through all of those barriers of isolation, the layers that have been put up over the years, to tear down that banner that is over her life and to redefine her, not by her past and not by what she's done, but to redefine her in him. He comes to put an end to her social and spiritual isolation. But more on that later. We read the next few verses. It says from verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons in his livestock." And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In this passage, Jesus pulls the old switcheroo. He comes up to this woman and he is thirsty and he asks her for a drink of water. But before we know it, he is offering her what she needs. He is offering her this living water that will satisfy her greatest needs. And understandably, she's interested, but also skeptical, like probably any of us would be. And she's a practical and a logical lady. And she sees Jesus He's been sitting on the well. He's been waiting for her to get a drink of water. Now, all of a sudden, without a bucket, without a water jar, he is offering her this living water that will quench all of her thirst for the rest of her life. She's a bit skeptical. So she asks him a question that is key to this whole passage. She says, where do you get that living water? Now, I think that's probably the question at the center of all of our lives. This is what many of us are trying to work out and also what some of us might have already given up searching for. But I do think that during this time of lockdown as we some of us have got more time as we're thinking about our lives as we're questioning what life is all about what we're living for what matters most and reprioritizing certain things that her question is actually our question. Where do you get that living water? Where do I find this deep Lasting satisfaction for my soul. She is still thinking physically as if this living water is just another type of water, like water zero or water light or water 2.0 or something like that. She thinks it's something she hasn't found before because she's grown from a number of different wells. But Jesus is kind of pointing her beyond the physical to the spiritual. He's pointing her to this existential satisfaction that can only be had in him. But he has to explain that a bit more. So in verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, pointing to the well, will be thirsty again. He's saying to us that physical things don't satisfy us spiritually. Physical things cannot satisfy the hunger and thirst that is in us to point us to God. They might satisfy us for a while. They might fill us with short-lived joy and pleasure, but it won't last. And many of us have found this and know this to be true. In our lives, if I can carry on the metaphor, We've taken the buckets that we've got to all sorts of different wells to fill our water jars and drink. But even though it satisfied us for a short period of time, that satisfaction never lasts. And maybe for you, you know what those wells have been for you. Maybe at first you thought, if I drink from the well of romance, if I can find a partner and get married, that will satisfy me. And once you've drank from that well, you thought, well, maybe if I can have a child, that will satisfy me. Or maybe you've gone to the well of work and said, if I can just get that job or that promotion, I can get that degree, buy that house, get that car, if I can have those clothes or that couch or that pet, that beautiful little puppy, then I'll be satisfied. And Jesus says to us about all of these things and more, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Just like that hot tap or my warm castle lager. You can drink it, it's accessible, it, it's liquid, but it's not going to satisfy us at all. John 4 verse 14 says, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says that he is the only one that can satisfy us completely. He isn't trying to sell us something. In this passage he's not telling us to do something, to try something, to earn, to try and achieve the satisfaction that he's offering. He just tells us to come to him and drink. In a time when I think many of us are tired, uncertain, stressed, fearful and anxious about life and the future, isn't that an amazing offer? Just come to me, Jesus says, for refreshing, for satisfaction, for salvation. When the woman hears this offer, she's very interested, as I hope you would be today. In John 4, verse 28 and 29, it says, Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now, I don't know if uh, that's gone past you. I had to read this verse a couple of times before I saw what a big deal this was. But remember that this passage started at noon, started at midday, 12, at like the hottest point of the day, when no one was around. Started secretively with this woman flying under the radar, and just trying to get her water and get home without being seen. The story started with a woman who was an outcast, socially um, distancing herself from the town and from the people around her because of her past and her sin and her shame. But here, after an encounter with Jesus, all of that has changed. We see this woman almost unthinkingly goes back to town and goes to all of the people to speak to them and tell them about this encounter with Jesus that she has had. And she says, he must be the Messiah. He must be the savior of the world. Her actions are no longer defined by her old identity, you know, because of her sin and shame. She's she's not hiding out anymore. Her encounter with Jesus has redefined her. So she is no longer the woman with five ex-husbands and living with her boyfriend and whatever else was on her life's rap sheet. This woman is now defined by him. And she's hearing the words of the father in heaven in her ears. You are my daughter who I love, with whom I'm well pleased. She's no longer a social outcast, and she's no longer a spiritual outcast in God's eyes. She's a new person with a new life and a new identity. She's got a new banner over herself, and she's living in a new way. She has found satisfaction, and she's found rest from that deep inner tiredness that she had been living through for all of those years. And she comes up to everyone and says, Jesus changed my life. Now it's Easter weekend and today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus being raised from the dead to conquer Satan's sin and death. And we remember Good Friday, think of Jesus dying on the cross, a terrible death that our sins could be forgiven and we could be reunited to God. But more than just his death and resurrection, Jesus' time on the cross meant more for us. On the cross, Jesus experienced spiritual isolation for himself. You know, when he took the sins of the world on his shoulders, this pure, perfect man who had never done anything immoral or wrong, anything to dishonor God, now all of a sudden was covered in the worst of the worst, the worst sin this world has ever seen. All of that sin was on him. For the first time, God turned his back on him so that he experienced separation from God. And he experienced that separation from God on the cross so that you and I would never have to experience that again. Today... You can be washed clean of your sins and whatever has been done against you in the past. And you can be reunited with your creator. The other thing that happened on the cross is that Jesus was thirsty. On the cross, he actually asked for a drink, although he never got what he was looking for. He didn't find satisfaction. And he was dissatisfied and thirsty for you and I so that you and I would never have to be dissatisfied again. If we would come to him and drink of the living water that he offers us, we would never grow dissatisfied again. That is the good news of Easter. I'm going to end with this. The last few verses of the story, verse 39 to 42. So now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said and they told the woman, We no longer believe because what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that he really is the Savior of the world. I want to ask you this morning, who do you say that Jesus is? Some call him a great teacher or a prophet, a wise man or a good man. And he is all of those things. But he said that he was more than that. He called himself God and he promised that in himself, we could find satisfaction from that deep inner longing that we've been looking for. What do you believe about them? I know that some of you are watching today because you've seen the stories of members of our church on social media, sharing their how Jesus changed my life stories, which I think have just been so beautiful. And we wanted to share those stories with you, to invite you to join us for Easter, but also just to share a bit of good news uh, at this time when there is just so much uh, negativity out there. But more than that, we wanted to share that because we believe that Jesus is more, that he is God, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And that just as he changed that Samaritan woman's life, and just as he's changed my life, and just as he's changed the lives of all of those people in those Jesus-changed-my-life posts, that he can change your life too. These Samaritans who had heard this woman's story first encountered Jesus through her words, and then later experienced and encountered him for themselves. And when that happened, they also experienced the forgiveness of their sins. They also found a new identity in Jesus. They also had that banner over their lives torn down and a new one raised. They also drank from the satisfying living water that Jesus offered them. And this morning, my hope is because of our words, my words, the words of those posts, that you would come to Jesus for yourself, or at least that you would start to explore his words and teachings a bit more whether it is today or down the line, that you would come to him and experience him for himself and that you would drink of that living water and find satisfaction for your soul. i love it if you would just close your eyes and we could pray together. Jesus, I ask you this morning, for those of us who have known you for a while, that even in lockdown, we would know the great um, satisfaction that comes from the living water inside of you. And I pray also, Lord, there would be no separation from us in you and that your presence would fill our homes and that we would know your peace and comfort at this time. Lord, I pray for our friends who have joined us this morning, for those who want to respond to what you've said today in some way. I pray that they would experience you for themselves. And as they come to you today, like that like that woman experienced, that they would find the forgiveness of their sins, and satisfaction for their souls in you, Amen. If you pray that second prayer today, or if you're not part of a church community, or if you want to get to know Jesus better, I just want to give you maybe three things that you could do to follow up from today. First is to join a church. Now, we're all doing this church at home, online church kind of thing at the moment, which isn't our favorite. But why don't you join us in this way on Sundays until lockdown is lifted? And then find a church, whether it's us or something nearby to you, that you can become part of, where you can make friends, where you, where you can call it home, where you can grow, where you can learn, where you can serve, where you can be a part of that community. My life has been changed in the church, and I believe your life can too. The second thing is start to pray to Jesus. Now, prayer is not this super spiritual thing; it's just a conversation with God, speaking to Him and listening to His words back to you. And at this time, I think many of us need to process, to share our feelings, our thoughts, our questions, our needs with God and to let him come and comfort us in this time. And thirdly, read the Bible. The Bible is God's words to us. And as we read that book, he speaks through the words to us that we would know him and we would know his ways better. Maybe if you don't know where to start, you can start in the book of John, the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. And that's the book we read from today. If you start there, you'll get to know Jesus a bit better, you'll understand his teachings more, and you'll know what it looks like to follow him. The other thing I'd suggest is you can follow us on our website or on social media. We're posting some resources at the moment, or you can sign up for our email updates and our daily devotions. We'd love to help serve you at this time in any way that we can. But from me, a happy Easter to all of you, and enjoy the rest of your day.